Welcome to the Five Lives Podcast. And now, Alexis's story. I'm just so thrilled tonight to introduce my daughter, who I've known for 22 years. (laughs) Alexis (laughs) Rabin. Hi. Um, Well, I didn't anticipate that the most people we've ever had would be when I was speaking, but here we are. So, um... What I want to, you know, the story that I want to share tonight is um, multifaceted. One um, is that God is always planting seeds in our lives, um, even since we were children, you know, all the way until now. Second, that nothing is wasted, even the sin and the screw-ups that are all of our own fault. Somehow God still manages to weave those things together um, for the good. and then last, that when, uh, when you really get to know God, um, you get to know love. And, and I guess the whole part of you know, my coming to know God is that I didn't realize that to know God, you had to do something. Um, I kind of just thought God was always you know, floating around and that one day I was going to wake up and be in love with God and think he was the greatest. And, um, and that's just not true. I mean, in the Bible, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. And it's just so common sense. Like, come to me, and then you'll figure out who I am, you know. So, um, so I'm going to take us way back to when I was seven. I was at church, and um, I was in a youth service, and they were um, having worship music playing. And I remember there was this song, and uh, it's called You Are My All in All. And the first line to the song says... You are my strength when I am weak. You are the shepherd that I seek. You are my all in all. And then it says, when I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. And um, as a little girl, that was the first time I ever remember feeling God so strong. Like it was just like, I felt this, like I was wrapped, you know, in love. And my hands were raised and I had tears streaming down my face. I mean, as a child, I didn't know, you know, what this was. And all I could do was respond in that kind of way. And um, so fast forward two years and I'm um, nine or 10 and I had a teacher in fifth grade and she was passing around plain white books and she said, okay, this is your homework assignment. In a week and a half, turn this book back into me and you have to have a story written in it. You can illustrate it, you can write whatever you wanna write. And so the second that I saw this book, it was like, I'm writing a mystery novel. I just, it's gonna be a 300 page bestseller. This is what I'm doing. And, um, and it was so funny because fifth grade was when we were learning like long division and the worst stuff ever. And I just knew that I hated that. And when I got this assignment, it was like instantaneous. I love this. And so every night I'd go home and write the characters and the plot. And I love figuring out like the conflict resolution for these characters. And um, when I turned it in by that Friday, I said, to myself at 10, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is, this is it. And um, so fast forward again, and I'm in the seventh grade, and I have my first morality class ever. And um, it thrilled me, like talking about good versus bad and evil in the world and right and wrong. And, um, and it was the first time that I felt this like stirring in me, this passion for learning what, what good and evil is and, and kind of learning a little bit about Jesus. And, um, and that intellectual side of me kind of got its first wind, you know, and, and I realized I really like talking about deep things. I really like, you know, having intense conversation. And, um, and this whole time, you know, my parents loved God. They were just the greatest. They are the greatest. And um, they would always, you know, read the Bible and talk about Jesus, and that's Bailey. And, um, but it never was, um, there was never any follow through with me. You know, I always, my parents talked about it. That was kind of enough, you know. And, um, and I just didn't understand that there had to be this, um, initiation on my part, you know, to actually want this relationship with God and, and, and say, I want a relationship with you, God, and take steps toward that. And so um, eighth grade, ninth grade come, and I had the same friends since grammar school, and, um, and high school was great. You know, by the time freshman year rolled in, I started getting angsty and just, I was the worst. I mean, everything sucked. Life was horrible. You know, my parents were the worst thing ever. And, um, and by the time sophomore year rolled around, I remember um, just kind of this change in me of, 
I started thinking about God a little bit more and I started kind of just wondering, is God happy with me? Am I doing the right thing? And, um, and that year I met a guy and we started dating and so I was 16 at the time and, um, and this guy was super intellectual and smart and I thought he was the great, he was a year older than me. So I was just like, this is the greatest thing ever. And, um, so we started dating and very quickly it went from just like no big thing. We're dating and having fun high school to, um, a lot of, this sounds harsh, but you know, it's how it was a lot of just manipulation, you know, in, in the relationship, a lot of, um, physical intimacy, like, you know, I would just set boundaries and then break them and then just go farther and farther. And I mean, he would do things like I'd show up to his parents' house and he'd open the door, his mom would open the door and, and, um, she'd say, Oh, hi, Alexis. And I'd say hi. And then he'd walk behind her and be like, Oh, Hey, I didn't know you were coming over. And so I literally looked like I'd invited myself to this kid's house, like a freaking psychopath. And so, you know, it was little stuff like that. He'd do the same thing. When we were at like high school parties, I'd walk up and like his friends were older, you know, and he'd like pretend like he didn't know me. And it was just so foreign to me because my parents, I've never seen anything like that. You know, growing up, I didn't know that kind of um, behavior towards someone and and it started sowing this thing in me, these seeds of like, not, I'm not good enough. I had a very high opinion of myself, to be honest, you know, back in the day. And, uh, but just of like an intellectual, I want to figure out what the root of this person's problem is. Like, why are they being like this? And um, I just had this drive to figure them out. And my best friend and I would just sit at night talking all night, like, what do we think is wrong with him? And we wanted all these philosophical conclusions, you know, to come up. And, um, and so as the physical boundaries, you know, I kept crossing and crossing and crossing, um, Somewhere in the middle of sophomore year, I had a friend of mine who I'd gone to grammar school with, and she said, hey, there's this retreat happening. Do you want to come? And of course, I'm like, frick no, I don't want to come to that. Like, I don't have any desire to go to a retreat. I'm dating this great guy, and this retreat's just going to tell me that I'm doing everything wrong, and I don't want to do that. So I go to the retreat. And um, I don't know, something in me was like, just go, you know, why not? And uh, so I go to the retreat, and... It was like I was that seven-year-old girl again. I mean, it was just, there was worship music playing and I remember crying and the crying this time was not so much joy um, as it was just like, I was so ashamed because I had gone so far with this person that I was dating and uh, here I am, I feel this love of God, but but I'm so ashamed and I don't think God can love me like this. and. Um, so that night, you know, I'm in my, we were, it was a sleepaway retreat. So I'm in my room just thinking, you know, about God. And, um, and I just felt this like kind of release from him. Like, it's okay. I love you, you know? So I leave the retreat. I go back to school. And when I'm back at school, there were, you know, I'm in the cafeteria and I see the lunch table of my normal friends and then the lunch table of the retreat girls. And I'm like, Oh no, I have to go with the normal friends. I'm not about to make a fool of myself at this, you know, sitting at another table after three years of high school. And so I go to my normal table and as lunch ended, I kept like gl glancing over, you know, at the other friends just to see what they were doing. And um, so I finally get up and I just go walk over there for like the last five minutes. Then the bell rings, then I get up and I go, you know, like nothing happened. And um, so I did that for about a week, maybe, you know, I'd go sit with these friends. And, um, and again, it was the same thing with just no follow through with God. It was like I had this, you know, experience with God at the retreat. It was awesome. God loves me. And then you know, time passes and it was just kind of like, I just, you know, it, it flailed out. There was nothing to it. Um, and so started dating the boy. Oh, I had broken up with the boy right after the retreat. Cause I was on this like holy roller kick and I was, I'm going to be great. You know, everything's going to be great. So started dating the boy like two weeks later. And, um, and I remember, you know, now we're ending my sophomore year into my junior year and I, felt God, you know, you know, when God sometimes just like, you can feel, feel him like tugging at you and it's just annoying you. Cause you're like, I don't want, I don't want to deal with it, you know? And, and I felt that so strongly. And I remember by the beginning of junior year, I had just set in my heart, 
I'm going to shut this thing down with God. I want nothing to do with it. I want to shut this voice out, you know, and, and why I couldn't tell you because looking back now, I'm like, you were literally just running straight to the fire of, you know, misery. But so I had set up, you know, whatever my parents said was right. You know, I don't care. It's their opinion. I just, everything was someone's opinion. Nothing was truth. Nothing was fact. You know, I decided, Oh, sure, sleeping around is bad. That's an opinion. Oh, getting drunk is bad. It's an opinion. And um, and it got to the point where, like, literally, I was just so hardened to the idea of something, um, something you know, from God, like hearing anything from God and, um, and wanting anything to do with God. And um, Sorry, it's the iPad. And... Um, so then it became this thing of, I have power now. I am in control. I can do whatever I want because no one's going to tell me that I can't, basically, except when my mom catches me sneaking out. She would tell me, you know, that I can't. And um, so it became this very prideful, arrogant, just, I was just full of arrogance, really. Like, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to go sneak out and, you know, be with this boy in his car, and I'm going to go to a party that I'm saying to my mom that I'm an old metter and I'm in frickin' River Ridge, you know? And, um, and so I just remember that power that initially was so appealing to me very quickly started to become like a, you know those fly traps that are like sticky and they're like the tape? And it was just like, I became controlled by that, um, by the desires that I had. And so at this point, um, the guy that I was dating ended up sleeping with him, ended up just drinking, you know, going out and partying. And, and of course, this is all very under the rug because I'm not like a loud person by nature. I'm very low key. And so internally, there was just this thrashing of, frustration and arrogance and pride and um, I can do whatever I want to do but like on the surface it's just this very you know blase type everything's great you know and and I just remember constantly having this like gray cloud over my head just never feeling satisfied never feeling good um, and so then it's my junior year now and um, there's another retreat our school has retreats you know every year and and I remember I ended up becoming roommates with this girl on accident named Kayla. And so Kayla and I um, shared a room and there were bed bugs in the bed that we were sleeping. So I hate bugs. If you know me, there's just, so we left the room and we went and slept with a random person, you know, and um, so that whole night we were up and we, Kayla sings songs. She's a, uh, she sings worship songs. She's a worship leader. And, um, and she and I and some other friends started just writing a song. And, um, you know, throughout fifth grade to now, I had written poems about boys that I liked or just like little mini side notes about updates about my life and my diary. And, um, and this was the first time that I was writing and it was like making this God connection kind of thing. And like I said, I'm still like sleeping with this guy. I'm still drinking. And, but here I am writing about Jesus, the greatest thing ever, you know. And, um, and so we end up performing this song at this retreat. And the teachers loved it. They thought it was the greatest thing. So we performed it at a couple other ones. And, um, and I just felt so, it was like, like this fire of like, this is awesome when I'm getting to use something and I know it's for good, you know, and I just felt so excited about that. And so, um, come home, same deal, no follow through. I'm like, God, you know, you feel this like sweet presence of God when you're like at church or you're at these things, then you walk out and then you just keep walking and your day keeps going. And then the next day goes and then it's like, where did God go? I don't know. And, um, so that's where I was. And, uh, senior year, the guy ends up going to college. So we've been dating pretty much every three weeks I'd break up with him, okay? And so then he goes to college, and, um, and I remember uh, he invited me to come hang out at spring testing for LSU. They were having spring testing. Caroline was there. And, um, and so we go, and then we come home. I have my senior year. You know, everything's not great. And then I go to college, so when I got to college, I had decided clean slate. I need to find God. I need to do something because this is a big deal, you know, going to college. And um, 
So I remember thinking all the time, like, okay, God, where do you want me to go to college? God, what do you want me to do? I need to be in your will. I need to do the right thing. And it's just so funny looking back because I'm like, I was not anywhere near, like, interested in living the way that God said. But here I am asking for his opinion about my life, you know. And, um, and so I end up going to LSU and break up with the guy, like I said, clean slate. Well, so I end up meeting another guy who was complete opposite, just super sweet, super simple, you know, not manipulative. It was so refreshing because I'm like, I don't ever have to wonder what your hidden motives are, you know? It was just very, he just likes me and it's fine, you know, all is well. And so I thought this relationship's going to be great. It's going to be a clean slate, you know? And so fast forward a couple months, same, same deal. I mean, I end up just that um, that kind of craving for just physical affection and physical attention literally became just like this heavy thing that I was wearing all the time and like I couldn't escape it no matter you know the new boyfriend and the clean slate and the new setting and being in college it was just like I kept going back to I need to be like I need to know that I am physically you know cared for I need to know that you like me you know and um and it was just simultaneously the other boyfriend comes back in the picture and is like, I'm madly in love with you. You know, I made a mistake in high school. And I'm, you know, 17, 18, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the, what I've always wanted. This person's finally in love with me. And um, so I am so conflicted because I'm like, well, this guy here is nice, but like this guy says he's in love with me. So like, what do I do? So I just dated them both at the same time. Yes. Y'all, y'all. My life became a telenovela overnight. Literally. So I'm dating two people at the same time. Everyone knows. They know. My friends know. You know, it's just normal. Everyone's laughing about it. And as, you know, this is progressing, it started, things started becoming super, like, what's the word? Just entangled. Because... Well, first of all, I'm sleeping with both of these people. Second of all, both of them are sharing extremely personal things with me, like that they were depressed at one time or that they were suicidal at one time. And it was like I was carrying this this constant guilt of I can't break up with either of these people because what if they kill themselves? I mean, what if they go off the deep end, you know? And, and I was just so... I didn't know what to do. I mean, I just... So I just kept dating them both, you know, and I thought this is all I, you know, this is the solution to all of our problems. And um, so I keep dating them and, and it just got worse. Just this constant guilt, this constant shame. I was hurting them, you know, they both liked me a lot and I'm dating both of them and they're telling me all these intimate life details. And, you know, here I am half invested in both of them. Um, and it just became unbearable. I mean, I was I was exhausted all the time, just mentally and emotionally, you know. Dating two people is hard. I don't recommend it, you know, to anyone. And um, so ends up, you know, I go home for my Christmas break. We're freshmen um, in, in college, and a couple of us are at my friend Nicole's house, and um, we're all sitting around playing a game or something, and, one of our friends is on Twitter and says, hey, do y'all see what's on Twitter? The, this hashtag keeps showing up. And so we all get on Twitter. And um, the hashtag says RIP Margo. And it was um, just one of those things that, you know, everything kind of stops, you know, and everything goes black. And the way that Margo spells her name is very unique. So immediately I knew that it was this girl that was my good friend's little sister who was 14 and committed suicide. And so um, it was, you know, it was just really hard. And for two months of my life, every single night, you know, back in college, I would just weep uncontrollably because I couldn't understand. And my heart was just breaking for this family and for her, you know, for being, you know, feeling so low and, um, and, I didn't know what to do, you know, I just, I would just cry and cry and cry, and I'd call my mom, and I'd be crying, and, um, and I'm dating two people on and off this whole time, you know, and it's just, um, I had broken up with them, actually, in between this time, I was, you know, it was the three-week mark, broke up with them, and so, um, I had broken up with them, said, you know, I need a, a mental break, and, um, 
end up cutting things off completely with the manipulative boyfriend, you know, to my parents. I'm sure they were, like, praying and fasting forever for that <laughs> to come to an end. And um, so I ended up breaking up with him. And throughout that two months, I would reach out to those girls from the retreat table from high school and just say, hey, like, you know, do you know any scripture verses? I'm having a really hard time with this death. I don't really know how to process it. And it was just kind of my go-to. And they were like, yeah, here, you know, and would send me stuff. And, um, and I would read it, you know, here and there. And, um, so March comes and I am, um, just drawing near the end of that, just mourning and that grieving, you know, for, for Margo. Um, and I started going to church at our college church called the refuge and started going to church, you know, here and there. And every time that I would go to church, they would play this song and the song is called closer. And so the lyrics of the song say, pull me a little closer, take me a little deeper. I want to know your heart. Your love is so much sweeter than anything I've tasted. I want to know your heart. And here I am, you know, crybaby Sally. And I'm just probably the only one in the whole church on my knees, just sobbing hysterically, carpet drenched, pillows drenched, you know, and, um, and I didn't know why. It was just like my only response was to cry. And I couldn't figure out, you know, why am I crying? And like my boyfriend would come sometimes and he'd be like, are you okay? What's wrong with you? You know, freaking going crazy. And so, um, so I, you know, looking back now, I realized that it was just kind of this, like, what's the word? Like a purging of everything that I had been holding on to, you know, for so long. I was just so done, you know, I was so tired. And, um, and one week I went home over there and, um, I went on a run, which I never, I don't exercise. I hate exercising. So if I was going on a run, it meant something was wrong, like mega. And so I go on a run and I come back and I'm sitting on my couch and I say, God, I don't know what to do, you know? And, and I heard this voice that said to me, you need to leave him. And I knew, you know, he's talking about, you need to just cut the deep, cut the ties, you know, with this relationship. And, um, and I was so tired at that point in my life that I thought, okay, so I'm either going to do what this voice in my head is saying to do that. I don't know who this is talking to me. Maybe it's God, maybe it's, you know, not. And, um, I'm either going to do it right now, or I'm going to get up and just go call the guy and see what's going on and chit chat and carry on like this. And and I remember, I can't, I'm just too tired. I can't keep doing this. And so I text him, and I break up with him over text. And um, so, so I get back to school. It's now we're April, April, May, and um, start dating the same guy again. I mean, it's just clockwork, people. Like, i so stubborn. So if you think you're stubborn, I promise I'm more stubborn. And, um, and every time, you know... Oh, I forgot the most important part. So, in the end of March, I that whole thing happens, and God's like, you need to break up this person. So, I'm in my uh, dorm room, and I'm underneath the bunk bed. You know, it was like a raised bunk, and you had a little couch underneath. And, um, and I'm like, okay, God, I need, I need to hear from you. I need something. I need anything. And um, so, I open up the Bible that my mom had snuck into my stuff. And <laughs> so, I open it up, and... Literally smack in the middle, I open it up to Romans 7, and it said this. I know that God's commands are spiritual, but I am not. I'm full of myself. So true. I've spent a lot of time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is I decide one way, but then I act another, doing things that I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what's best for myself and then do it, it's obvious that God's command is necessary. So here we are, telenovela narrator is literally like, this is what's going on with your life. Everything's swirling around in here. This is it, you know? And it was like stunning. Like I felt like a deer in headlights because I was like, God, you just literally read my card. You know, like how did this happen? I couldn't even put into words what I was feeling or thinking. And here it is. Someone had written it down thousands of years ago. And so it was equally like terrifying because I'm like, Oh my God, how does this, what is going on? But also the biggest relief because I thought, thank God someone knows what I'm doing. Thank God someone 
understands, you know, and so it goes on to say, you know, and this later part didn't catch on until later because like I said, I'm stubborn. And so it took me, took me a little while to get over that hump. And uh, so the, the rest of it says, um, I know God's command is necessary, but I need something more for if I know the law, but I still can't keep it. And the power of sin in me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I clearly need help. When I decide to do good, parts of me secretly rebel, and all I do is bad. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. Is there no one else who can do anything for me? And again, I'm just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> if it's asking this question, it probably has an answer later, you know, is what I'm thinking. And so... Um, so I kind of shut I kind of shut the book at that at that point because I was too freaked out. It was like you know spiritual overload. I'm exhausted. I have to go to bed, and so I go to bed and um, and I woke up that next morning at like 7 a.m., which also never happens. And and it was like I felt I just felt light, like I just felt really light, and it was the most foreign feeling to me. And I. And I loved it. I got out of bed, like I'm hip hopping along because I, I feel so good. Like I feel free kind of. And, and, um, and so I crawl down my stairs, the ladder, and I go under and I read the next chapter. And so the next chapter says, um, so the, the question that they left us off with in chapter seven was, is there no one who can help me? And so then the next chapter starts with the arrival of Jesus. We don't have to live life under a black cloud anymore. <clears throat> A new person is an operation, a new power. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has cleared the air and freed you. And I am like, it's true, you know, like I feel so light, I feel light as a feather. And so I'm reading, I keep reading, and so it goes on to say, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, and the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. If you're controlled by the sinful nature, you can't please God. But you, however, are not controlled by that nature. You're controlled by the spirit, if the spirit of God lives in you. And so I am like, oh my gosh, it's so obvious. Like I've just been living for my sinful nature and every desire I had to just go sleep with whoever or go get drunk, it was just like that owned me, you know? It literally controlled what I did. And um, just like it said, you know, you try to do the right thing. I knew what the right thing was, you know, because my parents had told me, but I just couldn't do it. I just kept going back to this bad thing. And um, this is telling me that there's power over that thing. It's telling me that that doesn't have to rule your life anymore. And I was just like, oh, I'm so excited. You know, this is great. Well, so I still, I end up dating the boy again. I'm telling you, I can't make this stuff up, people. So we're dating. And it got to the point after I had read this, after I had read this, I could not even be in the same room with this boy. Nonetheless, don't talk about making out or kissing this person. Being in the same room, it was literally a strobe light of G-O-D, just on repeat, whenever I'd see him. And it got so strong to the point where I would literally just start yelling, like, get, get out of my room, you know? I'm so annoyed. And I was taking out all my anger on him. But it was the conviction of God saying, Alexis, I've told you what the right thing to do is. I've told you to leave him. I've told you that I can help you leave. And you're still sitting here doing it, you know? And so, so really, it got just like, I couldn't even stand to look at this person because I just, the more that I looked at him, the more that I saw God and felt like God was calling me, which is like so ironic because you're looking at the thing that God's calling you out of and you're like, but I see God so much. And so, so... We go to this dance. I keep dating this person because I really wanted to go to this dance in May. <laughs> that was going to be super fun. So we go to this dance, and I wake up that morning. School had just ended, and I wake up that morning. And when I woke up and I saw him, it was like someone had put a giant concrete boulder in my chest. And every excuse, every emotion, every desire had just been like, 
rock solid here and I felt nothing. It was just like this. I felt nothing. And two weeks before that, I had sent the retreat friends a text message and I said, hey, can we start a Bible study during the summer? And they're probably thinking, what is this chick talking about? Like, she's literally sleeping. Okay, whatever. And so, <laughs> so they're like, oh, absolutely. You know, they're so great. They loved it. And so I wake up that morning and I felt this. I just had never felt this before. You know, it was like, I kind of knew, okay, this is done, you know, and, and it was one of those things where I just woke up and it was done. Like God had finally just, just stepped right in there, you know, and, and I remember as I'm leaving, I'm thinking like, I have to go. I have a Bible study to go to later today. Like my friends and I planned this thing, you know, as I'm walking out of this guy's house. And so, um, so I leave and for the rest of that summer, um, these friends and I would hang out like every day. Um, we were, you know, call it, yeah. So we hung out every day and um, every day I read the book of Ephesians and the book of Ephesians, the whole moral of the story is the love that God has for all of mankind. And it was like, just out of control to me like it was just I couldn't I would cry every day tears of joy this time this time it's like elation you know I'm so excited and um chapter two of Ephesians so I'm like day two into my Jesus you know I love God everything God and um and this is what it says it says this is not what it says this is the wrong verse Oh, okay, so this is, this is what it says. It says, You were dead in your sins and in the ways that you used to live. You followed the way of the world. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. So day two, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, God is telling me that I used to live that way. That means not anymore, you know? And it was just this the seed that God put in my heart, like, that's done. You know, that whole drama that we both went through, you know, is done. And it was just so freeing because, you know, Second Corinthians goes on to say that anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. Again, it was like, clean slate, clean slate. Oh my gosh, I'm reading it everywhere in the New Testament. I'm a new creation. When you accept Jesus in your heart, you become new. And it's like, okay, I've been wanting this so bad, you know, and I was trying to find it in relationships, this clean slate, and trying to find it in new, like, life settings. Oh, this is college clean slate. Oh, this is, you know, you name it, clean slate. And here it was, and it was like, here it is. You know, you don't have to go into a new life. You don't have to go to a new college. You don't have to, you know, just, you just have to accept it, you know, and, um, and so that, that summer was the follow through. It was like, finally, I had committed to following through with God because, because he said, I'm a new creation and who else do I want to be around? And the person who considers me a new creation, who doesn't look at my old like ways that I had used to live in. And, and it was just like, I want to be with that person, you know, the one who's telling me that that old stuff is gone, that, you know, it's, has no power over me. And, um, and Romans, you know, the books that I was reading kept saying, you don't, you're not under that anymore. You're not controlled by those desires, but you have power with the Holy Spirit, power. And that word just kept resonating in me. Like, I need power. I need something because I can't get out of this. It was like, you know, stickiness on my feet and I just couldn't get rid of it. And, um, so in July, we're a couple friends and I, the retreat friends, are at the beach. And my friend Kayla was singing a song called Come Away. And the lyrics of the song say, come away with me. It's never too late. It's not too late for you. And, um, and it just all like a speeding train was like all of those scriptures I had been reading all summer and all of the little ins and outs that God had been like pocketing in, in, you know, in my spirit throughout my life were just like... And, um, and I lifted my hands and I said, God, I want to be the new creation that you're saying that I am. I want to feel it. I want to know that this is true. I need to know that it's real. And y'all, I'm not even kidding. Like a bolt of lightning, just, it felt like something had literally gone through the top of my head down to my feet. And it was like this fire, like I felt like there was a rod of fire in between my body. And, um, 
and my arms and my legs and my fingers, like every part of me felt like it was being new. Like it literally felt like being burned into a new person. And from that moment, I was like, I'm new. It's true. You know, it was like no one had to tell me. You know, look, Jesus promises you'll. You didn't have to tell me. I didn't need. I didn't need your opinion of what Jesus said. You know, it was like, I know that I am new, and this is done. Like I was just fired up, and and I remember sitting on the stairs and and uh, the next day, and I'm you know, part of me was just so bitter towards guys, you know, and the relationships had just been that I had really caused, honestly, had just been so bad, and um, and I remember thinking, you know. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to be good enough for insert here because I just, I still kind of had that shame on me. Like, how could you do that? You know, do you remember the kind of life you used to live? Even though I had had this, I'm new, everything's new. Just this, this voice would come in my head. Like, no, no, you're never going to get the good and the best of God because of what you used to do, which just doesn't make any sense because God said I'm new, but here I am acting as if my future is going to be the result of what used to be before God. And that's just not true. So, um, so I heard Jesus say to me, do you trust me? And it was like a flip book of the past three months of my life. And I was like, yes, I trust you. You know, I trust you with my life. What if I get married? I don't know. What if I don't get married? I don't know. You know, and all these what ifs started going in my head and, um, and specifically just marriage because relationships had been such a, a pitfall in my life. And, um, and it was that research, just another level of freedom. Like it was just another, like, I didn't know I could breathe even more than I was already breathing because I felt so free already. And it was like, oh my gosh. And so that whole year of my life was just full of follow through, reading the word every single day, praying every single day, asking God, you know, God, I want to hear your voice. And, um, and you know, like I said earlier, nothing is wasted with God. And I moved into a sorority house the next year and I was so nervous because I'm like all my friends know me as this rager chick and uh and they're gonna be like what is what is Reb doing like she's what is she doing you know and, and I was nervous because I thought I don't have any Christian friends what am I gonna do you know how am I gonna follow through when no one else around me you know is doing what I'm doing and so I prayed to God I said God you're gonna have to do it you know I can't deal with I don't you know you're gonna have to do it and uh so I moved into the to the Pi Fi house and down my hallway was a girl named Annie and a girl named Leah. And I had seen Leah once my freshman year in the study room at her dorm reading the Bible. And that's all I knew of Leah. And so immediately I'm like, Leah must be a Christian, you know? So I would follow Leah around the sorority house secretly, just like seeing where she was, just kind of popping in, oh, hey, how's it going, you know? And uh, finally, after like two weeks, I'm like, look, Leah. You don't know me very well, but I really need friends that are Christians, and I know that you're a Christian, and so can we be friends? And she's like, she's really dramatic. She's like, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to be your friend for the past three weeks. And I'm like, so relieved, because I just made a fool of myself. And um, so Leah and Annie and I all became best friends. Annie is here. Proof that I have friends. There she is, and here they are. And... Um, and we're still, you know, best friends to this day. And they were just such a, like my rocks, you know, and I, I just needed someone to tell me, you know, you can do this, you know, you can follow through with God and we'll help you follow through. And, um, and so, you know, that happened and life just continues to progress with God. And I continue learning God's voice and that voice on the couch that was like, leave him was God, you know, and, and you just, um, and as, you know, I've gone on, I just keep seeing how God as a child had planted these seeds in my life. And um, when, like I said, when I was seven, that song, You Are My Strength When I'm Weak, You're the Shepherd That I Seek. When my dad passed away, um, a month before that, I had been reading Psalm 18. I don't know why, I just randomly said, I'm going to read Psalm 18, you know, and, and it just kind of hung on me. And the first line of Psalm 18 says... I love you, Lord, my strength. And I couldn't get past the first four verses for about the first month that my dad had passed. And every morning I just wake up, I love you, Lord, my strength. And it was like, you know, in that same time, the Holy Spirit was reminding me, do you remember when you were seven and that song just touched your heart when you told me that, um, that I'm your strength, when you recognize that I am your strength? And, 
And that's what got me out of bed in the morning. I mean, literally, that is it. And um, again, leading up to that, you know, my fifth grade self that loved the writing and loved, um, loved in the seventh grade, you know, learning about morality and right versus wrong. Well, in the past year of college, I had been writing a book called Full. And the whole purpose of the book um, is based off of the verse that says that... Uh, when Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give you life to the full, that you would have an abundant life. And so it was really, you know, the past six months of my life had been Jesus teaching me that you lack nothing when you have me, that you will be in want of nothing when you have me. And um, so one night when I'm sleeping after my dad had passed, I'm uh, lying my head on the pillow and I'm thinking, you know, Whatever I was thinking, I was thinking a million things, but I remember hearing this voice in my head saying, um, you don't have a dad anymore, so you're lacking. Mm. And it was the most just vile voice, you know, and immediately I said, I lack nothing because Jesus lives inside of me. And it was just that whole six months, you know, God had been, I think, you know, I'm writing this book that's going to sell a million copies, you know. And it wasn't about that, you know, it's about God preparing the way in my heart that, you know, just that firmness that you don't even try to tell me that I lack anything, you know, I know that I don't. And it was just this immediate gut reaction of, whoa, like I didn't even see it coming, you know, and, um, and even, you know, to take it a step further a month before my dad had passed, I was sitting in my room reading the Bible and, um, and I felt the Holy Spirit, I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, I'm leading you somewhere that you don't want to go. And immediately I rejected it. I'm like, he's not talking to me. He's talking to someone else. I'm going where I want to go, you know? And, and I thought, well, maybe that's for someone else. Maybe he wants me to tell it to someone else, you know? I don't know. And so I sat there for a minute and I'm like, God, was that you? You know, I don't want it to be you if that was you. And um, and so I just kept writing, you know, and, and writing is actually a way that, that God just shows me himself, you know. And So I write this long thing out, and I, it's a blog on there. You can see it was in, like, March or something. And, um, and the whole blog is about what are you going to do when God leads you down a road that you don't want to walk down. And the, the resolution of the blog, the ending is, what else can you do but go? Because what are you going to do, take another route where God is not? You know, and, and it was just, I put it out there thinking this is going to bless someone. Maybe it's for someone. And the second that I got home, you know, there was like 50 people on my front porch when my dad had passed. And um, the second that I got home, I remember, you know, just like, okay, this is not somewhere that I want to be. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And like mentally, I just started backing out of the situation and out of my reality um, and I felt God say, this has always been part of the plan. And it was so comforting to me because I thought, he's already been here. You know, he's already seen this day. He told me that I was going to go somewhere I didn't want to go. That means that he'd already been there and seen that I was going to be here. You know, and it was just like this whole thing had come full circle for me. And at night when I would cry and just, you know, I'm like, God, I just miss my dad. Like, you know, I just miss him. It's... I know that you're good and I know that your timing is perfect and you know, I wasn't, I'm not angry with God. Um, but I just, you know, I remember thinking, but I'm so glad that my dad is in heaven. And it was like, even in my grief, I couldn't go anywhere else but to God. It was like, even in this time of just sadness, God was still good and God was still a reason for me to have joy. You know, I still, my heart was still light enough to where I thought, yeah, my dad's gone, but he's with you. And if you had to come into his life, I'd be so much more upset right now because I wouldn't think that my dad is just with God, the love of his life. You know, my dad loved God. And, and that is what brings me so much joy now is because I'm like, well, even in death, God wins. Even in death, I have joy because of God, you know, and, um, and it's just, I'm at this place in my life now where I have decided I'm going to follow through with God. I, 
what else can I do but keep walking with God? You know, what else can I do but keep trusting that voice that I hear and keep reading what he says and not letting my circumstances dictate who God is, you know, and not letting the way that other people live their lives, you know, like dictate who God is. And, um, and so that, you know, that's, that's where I am, you know, in life. And, um, and the follow through, you know, if there's anything that I could leave you with is that if you are wanting, you know, God, you just want to know God, it's very simple. You just have to come to him. And coming to him is in the most practical way. Just pick the book of Ephesians if you want and say, it's really short, y'all. It's really short and it's really great. And just say, I'm going to just read one chapter today. Just start with today. You don't need to make like a three-month plan because you're probably not going to follow through with the plan because it's just too daunting. Um, you know, and it's just, it's just a simple, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read this today. And I'm going to ask God to just make it clear to me what this means. God, what does this mean? God, what does this say? Um, and then just just ask him for that power. You know, I think one of the most important things about God that we don't talk about is that he is power. That when his spirit comes upon you, you have power. And the only reason that my mom and I are sane right now, that I was able to go through job interviews two weeks after my dad passed away that I'm able to do a job every day is because of the power of God in my life, which comes through having his Holy Spirit living inside of us. And, um, and that power manifests in joy. You know, it's, I have joy today. I can literally tell you I'm joyful right now. I miss my dad and I grieve my dad. And there are just days where I just sob my eyes out in the shower because it's the only place that I'm ever really alone. But that power inside of me says, come on, keep going. You have another day. You're going to make it through today, you know. And, um, and just one side note example of that, of how God uses that power in the everyday, is our painter who paints this house right now. It's still being painted, but um, his granddaughter was murdered about a month ago by her mom's boyfriend. And... Um, and he comes here every day. He's been here every day since. And he just, he paints the house. And you see his, him with his towel and he wipes his tears. Um, and I was driving home last week from work for lunch. And this song came into my head. And sometimes I just get like a few lyrics. And, um, and I feel like it's God being like, just record this song or something. And so I just recorded three or four lyrics. And I instantly, I heard the Holy Spirit say, send this song to Mr. Joe, who is the painter. And I'm like, I don't sing. I don't have a singing voice. I'm not sharing this with anyone. I'm not sending it to Mr. Joe, God. What are you saying? And um, so I pull my car in the driveway and I like feel this, whenever God's talking to me, I feel like this heat, like going up to the left side of my arm. And I'm like, okay, this is definitely God, even though I've tried to deny it for 10 minutes now. So I go, Mr. Joe's nowhere to be found. I'm like, Mr. Joe, Mr. Joe. He's like, I'm up here. So I'm going up the steps, freaking out. And I'm like, look, Mr. Joe, this is really weird, you know. But um, I feel like God is telling me, you know. I mean, how many people do you hear that are like, I feel like God is telling me. And you're like, weirdo, you know, weirdo. And so um, I'm like, I feel like God's telling me to share this song with you. I don't sing, you know, I'm prefacing it major. Like, I'm not a singer. This is not going to sound good. And um, so here it is, you know, and I like kind of look away and I send him, he's like, send it to me. And so I send it to him and a week goes by and I don't hear anything from Mr. Joe. And, um, and then yesterday I'm in my kitchen and I'm talking to Mr. Joe and, and it was the same thing on my way home. I felt like the Holy Spirit said, tell Mr. Joe that his granddaughter didn't feel, doesn't have any memory of the pain that she went through. Because a friend of ours, Miss Ellen, had shared that in a story, and that was just on my heart as I was driving home for lunch. And, um, and he, said, he said, just tell her that she doesn't remember any of that. And so I get here, and I'm like, it's just always awkward. You know, you're like, how, did you're, you're like, how do I bring this up? He's walking around, he's getting lunch, grabbing a sandwich, and I'm like following him around, you know, secretly. And so finally, I'm just like, all right, Mr. Joe, um, I feel like God is telling me <laughs> to tell you that your granddaughter doesn't remember any pain. And I said, 
someone shared that with a friend of ours who was going through a really hard time and she said that it really released her to start talking to God again and to start just you know praying again and and he's, he looked at me and he's crying okay he has tears in his eyes I'm now like you know I want to leave because I'm crying and I'm going to cause a scene and, and he said when you sent me that that song that you sent me two weeks ago you did that for me. You released me because I couldn't talk to God and no one had any answers for me and no one had anything to say. And you said that. And now I'm released from that feeling of just no one has answers. God, where are you? And I'm like, I have to go back to work, Mr. Joe. I can't see you, you know, and he's crying. And so I just walk out because I'm like, I have to go, you know. And um, But it's just God is so practical. You know, he's not hard to find and he's not way over here he's in us you know he's right here he sees everyone that we see and he's fully aware of every situation and every heart and every thought going on in people's heads and he is craving to show that to us in the most simple way of hey tell that guy that his granddaughter I mean it's so simple I would just go tell him but because it's God you start doubting and you start could God really be talking to me could it really be you know and it's just if we could just get out of our own heads long enough to realize God's so simple. He went, he's here just like you and I are right here. We just can't see him. And he's talking all the time, but we aren't listening always. And so, you know, what I want to leave you with is just follow through, you know, read the word and learn his voice. Because this will tell you, you know, if you're reading something and it just doesn't sound like God, then it probably isn't God, you know? Or if you're reading something and it does sound like God, like stories that I just shared with you now happen here. You, you read about them, um, you know? And, and he's just simple. He's simple and, um, and he's ready to talk to you and he's ready to do crazy things like that in your life all the time if we would just listen. Um, and so, so I just wanna close. I'm done. My <laughs> spiel is over. Thanks for listening to the Five Lives podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or at fivelives.org. This has been a production of Five Lives Ministries. Any attempt to sell, distribute, or reproduce this content without the express written permission from Five Lives and its speakers is prohibited by law.